Well, good morning. If, if you have a Bible with you, you can go, in a, go ahead and open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I know we had a few people out last week with it being New Year's Day. So I want to give you a quick recap on what Pastor Richard preached last week. Last week he was in 2 Thessalonians 1, and he raised the question, uh, what should Christians resolve to do? A lot of people make New Year's resolutions. And he said, what are some biblical resolutions that we can make as Christians for this new year? And he listed a few things. He said that we should resolve to grow in faith. We should resolve to speak the truth in love. We should resolve to remain steadfast in persecutions. We should resolve to be a gospel witness. We should resolve to go and make disciples. And ultimately, we should resolve to glorify our King Jesus. That's what uh, Pastor Richard preached just last Sunday, and now this morning, what I want to look at is what's, what's one resolution that we can make as Christians that would be the foundation for all of those things that Pastor Richard talked about last week. Okay, what's, what's one thing that we could do that would change our hearts so that we could do all those things that he listed and when we do them faithfully to the Lord? Um, some of y'all have maybe have already set resolutions uh, this year, maybe last Sunday on January 1st. Uh, maybe you said, I want to lose some, some more weight this year. Um, maybe you set a resolution to go to the gym so many times this year to have a better diet. Maybe y'all uh, had a resolution to stay more true to your financial budget, to be a little more tight this year. If you're a little more, if you're a little more spiritual, maybe it was, I want to be a better husband or a better father. I want to attend more, Sunday school more this year. Um, Maybe, maybe you set a resolution last Sunday and you've already forgotten it by, by this Sunday. And if not by now, uh, statistics show that by the end of this month, um, almost all of us who set resolutions have forgotten them and just given up by them, by them on the end of the month. So here, here's my prayer and goal this morning going into the sermon is that, that we as a church and as Christians as disciples of Jesus Christ it's very simple this morning that we would resolve to read our Bibles every day this year okay that we would resolve to be people of God's word that it would be the foundation of our life because if we're in God's word every day and it's our foundation it's going to change every aspect of our lives okay so let's you can go ahead and stand if you're able for the reading of God's word Again, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the entire chapter, um, but I'm really going to focus in on and preach verses 14 through 17. But for context this morning, I'm going to read the whole chapter. And God's Word says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, of godliness but, not, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and John Brez opposed Moses, 
So these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as it was of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people will, and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then right here, verse 14, this is what I want us to focus in on this morning. Here's his specific instructions to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I, I thank you that, that we live in a country where we can read our Bibles publicly and not fear persecution. Um, Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word, that, it, that we can look to it for our standard of truth and how to live our lives. And I just pray that you would change our hearts this morning with your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. You know, people are always people are always interested in a person's last words, a person's words on their deathbed. Perhaps they're they're struggling for breath, they're struggling to to speak. And it's these final words where there's a great deal of significance. There's a great deal of emphasis put on a person's last words because they know they're going to die and they only have a few words left to say. So therefore, what they're saying is going to be pretty important, right? Um, Dwight D. Eisenhower, he was the 34th president of the United States, five-star general and commander of the Allied forces during World War II. His last words on his deathbed were this. I've always loved my wife, and my children, and my grandchildren. I've always loved my country. I want to go. God, take me. And that was a man confident, even in death right there. Uh, John Wayne's last words. I know we got some John Wayne fans in here. Uh, his last words were this. He said, of course I know who you are. You're my girl. I love you. He said that to his wife at age 72. Um, Harriet Tubman, famous for um, leading the Underground Railroad and rescuing slaves out of slavery. Her last words were very fitting for her as she struggled to sing along with her family with Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. And these words here, these, these words I'm about to read, are, they're pretty special to me. These last words were, Just love the Lord with all your heart and always love your wife. You've picked out a good one, David. Keep doing the Lord's work. I'm proud of you, and I love you. That's what my granddad said to me um, for the last time on his deathbed. And then, of course, we have the words of Jesus Christ dangling on the cross with nails through his hand. He, had, he literally had to pick himself up just to, just to breathe and to speak these words. He said, it is finished, meaning 
For those who have faith in Him, your sins are paid for. It's done. He's done the work. You can just rest in Him. And then he went on to say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he was actually quoting Scripture right there from Psalm 31, verse 5. And believe it or not, the words that we just read from 2 Timothy chapter 3, those were some of Paul's final words. Okay, Paul wrote many letters. He wrote letters to lots of churches, to the church in Ephesus, Colossus, Philippi, to the Thessalonians. He wrote letters to different people, to Timothy and Titus and to Philemon. But pretty much all scholars agree that this letter here, 2 Timothy, was the last letter that he ever wrote. Okay? And he, it was actually 67 AD at the time. And he and Paul's chained in a prison cell under the rule of Emperor Nero. If you know anything about Emperor Nero, he was infamous for persecuting Christians, for sickening lions on them to kill them and for beheading them. And so Paul, just get the picture, he's, he's in a cell. He knows he's going to die. In fact, in just a few verses after what we just read, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. So Paul knows these are some of his final words. So what does Paul do when he's writing to Timothy, his, his son in the faith, the guy he's been discipling for years? The, Timothy's the guy he's, he's passing the baton to in ministry. His time's up, and he's passing on to this younger man. And he points Timothy, and he's pointing us today to the Scriptures. Okay, He doesn't say, oh, just, just dig a little deeper, find the truth within yourself. No, he, he points Timothy to the Scriptures. He doesn't say, Hey, we're getting killed and beheaded out here. Uh, gather a little army together and fight back against Nero. No, he, he, go, he points him to the power of the Scriptures because it's, it's the power of God's Word that can change a man's heart, that, can, that make men and women can be born again through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Word of God is powerful enough to change people's hearts. So he points Timothy to the Scriptures here. So that leads to point number one in your outline, if you look at the top, that in changing godless times, we must stand firm on the foundation of the unchanging Word of God. Therefore, resolve to read your Bible every day. Resolve, if you're doing that every day, then that's going to be the foundation of your life. It's got to be the ultimate, it's got to be the standard and authority of truth in your life, of what you measure is right and wrong, what you measure is true or not true, or how you're going to live your life, God's Word needs to be the foundation and the measuring stick of that. Jesus did the same thing. When he was debating with the Pharisees, with the religious leaders of the time, often he would say, is it not written? Or have you not read? He was always pointing people back to the Scriptures, and then he would base his statements of truth on what God's Word said. And then again, Jesus at the end of his famous Sermon on the Mount, at the end of Matthew 7, he says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Okay, so Jesus' words here, is, when he says the rock, he's referring to his words, the words of God. So if you're building your life and your marriages and the way you do business and the way you work and the way you raise your children, you're doing all these things on the foundation of the Word of God, then it's going to stand true the test of time. It's going to stand persecutions 
and hard times. We must stand firm in God's word regardless of cultural changes and opinions. Okay? This is a quote I read from a former megachurch pastor, and he's now spiritual advisor to Oprah Winfrey. He's got his own show on the Oprah Winfrey Network. And he said this. He said, quote, Christianity is evolving. The church will continue to be even more irrelevant when it quotes letters from 2,000 years ago. Again, those are his words, not mine. Uh, but, but church, the day that we don't base our beliefs on the word of God and, and we just let our opinions change with the rest of the culture is the day that we do become irrelevant when we're simply in another institution that changes based on the current truth of the time. And culture will change. People's opinions will change like sheep simply fall in the crowd. But God's word is the same yesterday as it is today as it will be tomorrow. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. 20 years from now, guess what? I'm going to believe the same things that I believe today because 20 years from now, this book is going to say the same things as it does this morning. Okay, it's unchanging. Which leads me to the, the first point here. Um, so Paul, this is the theme of the passage. He says, the Bible needs to be the foundation of your life. He points Timothy to the Scriptures. And then in verse 15, 16, and 17, he goes on to give three reasons why it should be. Reason number one is that God's Word contains the wisdom for salvation in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15 right here. In verse 15, he says, From childhood, how you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Look, God's given us a book here. He's given us wisdom that's not of this world. The Bible has the mystery of salvation in it. It has the secret to eternal life. Okay, no other book on this planet has the power to save a man. Only the Bible. And keep in mind here, when Paul writes this, uh, the New Testament is literally in the process of being written. So when he says the sacred writings, when he's saying the scriptures, he actually has in mind right now the Old Testament. Okay? So he's saying all scripture, and even the Old Testament is able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. I know some of us this morning are thinking, well, how... How is, that? How is that possible? Jesus didn't even show up till Matthew chapter 1, right? When he was born. That's not true. Hopefully, hopefully y'all been seeing that in the gospel project in Sunday school class. That's what we're, we're, we're trying to see is that Jesus Christ is a theme through all of Scripture. All of it's either pointing to Christ, the Old Testament, the Gospels are telling about the life of Jesus Christ, and then the rest of the New Testament is telling how the church responded to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all about jesus christ and that, that's what makes pastor richard's sermon series through exodus just as important as any other because he's showing from the book of exodus and how the nation of israel got out of slavery in egypt how that's a picture of the gospel of jesus christ you know if, if there's one place i wish i i could have been in in the history of the bible i would have loved to have been with jesus after his resurrection on the road to emmaus it's found in Luke chapter 24, verse 27. Um, it says this, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, being Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures 
the things concerning himself. So what Jesus did after he rose from the dead, he went to his disciples and he, he, he rolled open the scrolls of the Old Testament, the books of the law of Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. He went to places like the prophet Isaiah and he showed his disciples, hey, here's all the promises about me that I've fulfilled. And here's all the prophecies about me that I've fulfilled. Okay, Jesus pointed his disciples to that. And so here's just one, here's one tangible example of that, of how even Old Testament believers were saved by faith in Jesus Christ, not through works of the law, not through animal sacrifice, but by faith in Christ. In Genesis 15, we see the covenant, the promise to Abraham. Um, God tells Abraham that I'm going to make your descendants they're going to be multiplied and be just as many of the stars of the heaven. God says to Abraham, look up and see all the stars. That's going to be your descendants. Okay? Now, Abraham believed that promise, and the scriptures tell us that his faith, his belief in God's promise was counted to him as righteousness. So Abraham was justified by faith in God's promise, just as the way we are. And then we ultimately know that Jesus, that's only possible through Jesus Christ, that promise to Abraham. Jesus is a fulfillment of that promise because we're all who have faith in Christ, children of Abraham by faith. Okay, Galatians 3.8 backs this up. Galatians 3.8 says, The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. It's saying that, that Abraham and the head of the gospel preached to him, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Isaiah 53, another Old Testament passage, said, He was pierced for our transgressions. goes on to say, By his wounds we're healed. He opened up, he, he did not open his mouth, and like a lamb he was led to the slaughter. Okay, this is a scroll. Isaiah, this is a, something written centuries before Jesus was born, and it's obviously describing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you all a story about a man. This happened in the 19th century in London. Uh, he woke up, he, he felt that he need, it was Sunday, he felt he needed to go to church that Sunday. Um, so he started walking into town. It was actually a blizzard this, that morning. There was two feet of snow, whiteout conditions. He was trudging through the snow. He could hardly see. He was planning on walking to the, the big church in downtown London. Um, but the, the conditions were so bad, he ended up just ducking into a little bitty church along the way. He walked in, there was about a dozen, maybe 12, 15 people in there, a little bitty church. 15, 20 minutes go by, and the pastor hadn't even shown up yet. They come to find out, well, the preacher's been snowed in this morning. So finally, the, this old man who uh, was just a member of the church and never preached before in his life got up and just read from the scriptures. And specifically, he read from Isaiah 45 and and the verse that really stuck out was, Look unto me, all the earth, and you will be saved. And he went on for the next five or ten minutes to stutter out and attempt at a sermon and pretty much kept repeating the words of Scripture. And the man that stumbled in there that morning ended up being saved that day. He was born again. He had faith in Jesus Christ simply from hearing the words of Scripture. So, so that goes to show you right here that the power for salvation, it's not in the preacher, it's not in the pastor, it's not in a man, it's in the Word of God, okay? It's in God's Word that has the power for salvation. And I, I take great comfort in that this morning, even right now, preaching, knowing, hey, as long as I read the Bible, 
then I'm doing something right. As long as I read God's word, it has the power for salvation. Okay, so we talk about the Old Testament points to Christ, and then obviously in the New Testament, there's just some glorious passages that just spell out the gospel. One being Romans 5.8, saying that God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 4.10 says that this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Okay, this is the gospel. This is what the Bible is preaching to us. That in him who knew no sin, that being Jesus, he never sinned once. Not any deed, attitude, thought, behavior, nothing he did. He never sinned one time in his entire life. It says he became sin for us. Meaning that all the times that we've sinned, if you have faith in him, your sins were put on Jesus. They were nailed to the cross. And so that in him... We might become the righteousness of God. Look, all of us in this room are going to stand before God's throne one day. Whether you die or Jesus returns, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. And one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to judge you based on your life, on your deeds and your sins, and ten times out of ten, that leads to condemnation. There's nothing you can do to earn God's approval. There's nothing you can do to wipe your slate clean to have your sins forgiven. Or the second option is that as 2 Corinthians 5.21 said, that God will look at you and he'll see you as perfectly righteous. That he'll be pleased with you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus Christ did. And he'll, he'll, he won't, he'll look at you and he won't see your sins and your mistake. He'll look and he'll see the perfect righteousness of Christ in you, not according to what you have done but to Christ's righteousness because he paid for your sins on the cross. They're forgiven and forgotten and he lived a perfect righteous life. So if you have faith in that, you can take comfort. Okay, this is what God's word has the power for salvation. So it not only has the power for salvation, but verse 16, it then goes on to say that scripture is profitable. All scripture is brought up by God and it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and, tra- and training in righteousness. So this leads to point number two. If you've got an outline with you, uh, point number two here says that God's word is used for our spiritual growth to make us more like Jesus Christ. So God's word not only has the power to save us, but it has the power to transform us to be more like Christ for our spiritual growth. Um, in verse 16 here, first I want to look at a couple phrases that stick out. Number one, it says scripture is, all scripture is, look, it says breathed out by God. Okay, what does that mean to be breathed out by God? What that means is that every word of scripture was inspired by God. Every word of scripture is there because God wanted it to be there. Uh, Peter describes this well in Second Peter chapter 1. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay, the Bible is 66 books. It was written by about 40 different human authors. It was written by over a period of 1,500 years. But there's no no contradictions in it. It all tells the same story. It all points to Jesus Christ because ultimately there was one 
divine author, the Holy Spirit who inspired it all. Okay? So just as you need food for the body to grow physically, we got people in here that like to eat. Okay, you need food to grow physically. Um, you, need, you need the Word of God for your soul for spiritual growth. Okay, y'all got that? That, that? that Scripture is to your soul as food is for your body. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 4.4. 4. He said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man doesn't live on bread alone, just on physical food alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God on Scripture. So does this sound familiar to any of us in here? Maybe you've experienced this where you walk out of church Sunday morning, you've been sitting for 30 or 40 minutes under the preaching of God's Word, you've been hearing the Word and reading it, you've been singing songs, and you walk out and you're feeling great Sunday afternoon. Um, You're not tempted to sin, you're encouraged, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, you're, you're, serve, you're loving and serving your wife and your kids that day, whatever it may be. And then maybe, maybe Tuesday afternoon rolls around and you're tempted to sin. You're discouraged. You're, you're asking, where's God? I feel so distant from the Lord right now. Well, maybe, maybe it's because you haven't fed your soul. You haven't been in the Word. Maybe you got home from church Sunday and set the Bible down, and you hadn't picked it up since. It's just been collecting dust the past few days. So what, what's happening there is your soul is telling you that it's hungry for God's Word. So you need to feed it God's Word, okay? The, the same thing would happen if you all walk out of here today and you go eat a hometown pizza. If I were to talk to you all Tuesday afternoon, and you said, Hey, David, uh, I don't know what's wrong with me today. I'm, I don't have much energy. Um, I'm feeling weak. I'm kind of dizzy and lightheaded. I, my stomach keeps making these weird noises. I, I don't know what's, what's going on. I mean, I ate, I ate after church on Sunday. I'd say, well, man, have you eaten lately? Have you eaten food since Sunday? It sounds like you just need to eat. Okay, it's the same principle that we need. That, that Sunday should not be the only times we pick up our Bibles. Okay, you need the Word of God to be the foundation of your life throughout the week. Again, so resolve to read your Bible every day this, this year. Job said this in Job 23, verse 12. He said, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Okay, Job was a man that went through intense suffering, and he learned through that. He learned to treasure and to hunger for God's word more than he even did physical food so pray this morning if you don't feel that pray this morning for hunger pains in your soul pray that if a few days have gone by and you haven't read the word of god that your soul would be stirred and you'd say i need to get in the word i need to stop what i'm doing i'm i'm not focused on the lord i'm i'm just living for myself today i'm just relying on my own power and let that be a sign to you that you need to get in God's Word. So pray that, that the Lord would do that in your soul. A few weeks ago, I had a friend from, from back home that called me. And he was going through some severe marital difficulties. His, he and his wife, were, they were separated at the time. Um, had been for a number of weeks. And things were just getting worse and worse and worse. And... Uh, 
He called me and said, man, I don't, I don't know what to do right now. And then he went on to say, I've been talking to these other people, these, these other people, uh, some self-proclaimed Christians who were just telling him, they're saying, man, if you're not happy, just move on. I mean, if she's not giving you the love and respect that you need, then um, you deserve to be happy. So, so just move on right now. And, and he asked me what I thought about that. And I said, man, uh, I said, if I wasn't a Christian, if I didn't believe God's word, I might, I might agree with that. But, but the only counsel I can give you right now is what God's word says. And I point him to Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 and even back to Genesis 2 in the garden and, and point him to, to say, look, you have made a covenant before God to be faithful to this woman for the rest of your life. Okay, regardless of what happens. And there's been no adultery here. You, you can't just give up and back out. You've got to stay committed to this woman. And this isn't me telling you this, Jared. Uh, it's isn't me telling you this, man. This is God's word. This is God's word telling you this, okay? And, and he went on, um, he took God's word to heart, and he went back uh, to his wife, and, and I'm thankful to say by God's grace, um, they're living again together and loving, uh, loving each other now. Okay, so th this is the point here, is that God's word leads to our spiritual growth. We need it for guidance in life. You can't do without it. It's got to be your foundation. Okay, then look at verse 17 here. Verse 17 leads to the third point and the outline that God's word equips us for good works to serve and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Okay, look at verse 17. It says that the man of God may be a complete and equipped for every good work. So we, we, we read our Bibles and, and grow spiritually for a purpose. It's for a mission. It's for a goal. It's not, you don't just do it for the heck of it. it there's a goal to it. So the goal is not to just become a monk who, who sits in the basement and reads their Bible all day long and never really does anything with it. Okay, Jesus, like Pastor Richard mentioned earlier, Jesus called us to make disciples, to share the gospel, to share our faith, and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what this passage is saying here is it's God's word that equips us for that. Okay, do we have anybody that played maybe high school football back in the day? Um, I played high school football, and, and during the summers, we would have two days. Um, you'd go to practice morning and evening, especially in the afternoon. It'd be in the heat in the day, got your pads on, and you're just training, you're training. And then when you're not at practice, you're in the weight room lifting weights. Okay, and this is all equipping you. It's preparing you for game day, right? So what if, what if the first game of the season rolled around, and I've been preparing, I've been, I hadn't missed practice. Okay, I've been in the gym every day. Well, if the, the first game rolled around, and I'm sitting in the locker room, and kickoff's about to start, and the coach, he comes down, he peeks his head, and he's like, hey, David, the, the game's about to start. You know, you need to get out of here right now. And I say, uh, well, coach, I, you know, I feel, I feel like I need to just keep reading the playbook. I need to do a few more push-ups. I just need to keep uh, preparing, you know, like we've been doing all summer. He'd say, no, you're missing the point. We've been practicing all summer to play the game today. Okay, so if we're just reading our Bibles every day, and then we're never sharing the gospel with our neighbors or our coworkers or people that we come through in life. We're never making disciples or training our kids or, or anything like that. Then we're missing the whole point. Okay, and in the same way, on the flip side of that, if I hadn't been to a practice all year long, 
And I just went on, on the field and just tried to play the game without ever preparing at all. I'm probably going to fail. Okay, so it's this balance of being in the Word, letting it equip you for good works, as this passage says, and then when the time comes, doing it, putting that Word into practice, okay, and making disciples in real life. Um, Ephesians 2.10 echoes a similar thing here. It says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared, prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay? So parents, one way, one way that you can do this is uh, it's just to read your Bibles in the home. Okay? When, when, when your kids... When they're growing up and when they see you as parents reading your Bibles at home, they'll know, hey, this isn't just something that we just do on Sundays. This is, this is real to my parents, and they, they, they live it out throughout the entire week. Okay, and then even putting that in as part of reading your Bibles with your children. Um, and another thing is we live in a region of the country where a lot of people call this area the, the buckle of the Bible belt, right, that we're in the... That, that there's churches everywhere. You can drive out here and there's churches in any direction. And because of that, we can start to assume, I think, that everyone just is either a Christian or if not, they've, everyone's at least heard the gospel. No, but that's just, that's not true. And Pastor Richard pointed that out before Christmas. Um, he pointed out the same thing. And, and just last weekend on New Year's Eve, uh, I got to talking with a guy and he, and he wasn't a Christian and I shared the gospel with him and I walked through it with him that, that, uh, that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and he can have forgiveness of his sins through faith alone and what Christ has done and that he doesn't have to work and earn his way to heaven and that being a Christian isn't just following this religious checklist that, that if you have faith, it changes your heart and that you'll love God and be obedient to Jesus Christ out of love for him and not out, not out of a dry religious duty. And I talked with them through that. Um, it was last Saturday on New Year's Eve and and he said, I never, he said, I've never heard that before in my life. And this guy was from Indiana. Okay, he wasn't from, he was from southern Indiana. He wasn't from um, some rural village in Africa where they've never heard the gospel, where the gospel hadn't even been there. He was from a place uh, where there's probably churches around them there as well. So again, we can't just assume that everyone knows the gospel. The reality is a lot of people just think being a Christian is going to church and following some rules. So we need to be sharing the gospel about salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ Jesus. Um, a recent LifeWay research study showed that for, for those people, it, it, it polled people who regularly go to church. And it asked them this question, for those who go to church regularly, do you read, how often do you read the Bible? 60 per, 60% on that poll said, they do once a week, and that once a week is when they're at church on Sunday. So that's already the majority there. Uh, 20% said they do then, and then a few more times a month, maybe once a week or so after that. And then another 20% said they do every day. So if those, if those stats are true for, for us this morning, that means that the majority of us just simply aren't reading our Bibles. Um, and I was thinking about some common excuses that people come up with for not reading the Bible. One is not enough time. Say, I just don't have time for it. Well, the reality is we, we all have the same amount of time in the day, and you, 
you make time for what's a priority in your life. Did you eat today? I mean, obviously, that's important enough. Uh, but it, it, if you don't have enough time to read the Bible and you have time to do other things, then what you're saying is these other things I'm doing is more important than reading the Bible. Um, so maybe, maybe we are that busy where maybe you need to get up earlier, be disciplined to set your alarm clock for 20 or 30 minutes earlier where you can get up and get in the Word and start your day out right. The foundation of your day is on God's Word. And Jesus modeled this. It said that Jesus very often would arise early in the morning and go out to pray, and he would meditate on Scripture. Um, if you have a long commute to work, um, there, there's technology out there where you can listen to an audio Bible. Maybe you could listen to the Bible on your commute to work. Okay, take advantage of that time where you're not just sitting there staring at the white lines. Um, maybe you could read on your, on your lunch break. Again, just whatever it takes in your schedule to get in the Word. Another excuse is, I just get too distracted, I try, I try, but I just can't focus at all. And unfortunately, we live in a culture where our sensories are constantly overloaded, so maybe, maybe we just need to turn our phones off for a second, where we don't have text messages and emails and Facebook comments always popping up. Maybe we need to turn the TV off a minute and just take time where there's nothing else going on except your time with the Lord and His Word. It's got to be that important to you. And then again, pray for focus. Don't rely on your own strength. Ask God to give you the focus. Another common excuse is that it's hard to understand. I just don't understand it, so I don't want to read it. Uh, let me encourage you this morning. If that's you, be encouraged. You're in good company. Even Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3, and he's actually referring to some of Paul's letters and calling them Scripture, he says some of these things are hard to understand as are the other scriptures. So even Peter, disciple of Christ, wrote some books of the New Testament is admitting, hey, some of these things are hard to understand. I guarantee you that me and Matt and, and Richard and Nick and anyone else in this church, the, there's some passages in the Bible that are hard to understand, but that's not a reason to just give up. That's not a reason to just throw it down. You don't give up in life when anything else is hard, so why just quit when the Bible's a little hard to understand? Write down questions. Go to other brothers and sisters in Christ or your pastor and ask them. Talk to them about it. Maybe they've read these same passages and they've come to understanding. They can explain it to you. Okay? I want to tell you all a story about a guy. And this story, I mean, this story is hard to believe. Um, somebody told it to me and I went and looked it up. And in fact, it's true. In the Chicago Tribune on April 27, 1913, they published this story about a man. He was a common laborer at a rock quarry. So his job was to turn big rocks into smaller rocks. And the way that they did that was they would get a stick of dynamite and they would blow up the big rocks, turn them into smaller rocks, put those rocks in a, in a truck and haul them off and make money for selling rocks. So his job was to do that. He was a young Christian at a time and one day he had an accident and the stick of dynamite went off early. It blew up right in his face. It blew his hands off. It blinded him. It singed the skin. It burned the skin off his face. And you know what his complaint was? He said, well, I'm a new Christian, and I'm blind now. I'm not going to be able to read my Bible. But he, he was so committed that he would read his Bible. He didn't have the option either to, to read Braille with his fingers. Um, he didn't have the option to run his finger over the bumps because he literally didn't have hands. So he heard about a woman 
in England who had learned to read Braille with her lips. She would run her lips over the dots on the page and would read that way. So he said, hey, maybe I can do that. So he tried it. Come, come to find out the nerve endings in his lips had been singed by the explosion and he couldn't even do it that way. And in the process of doing that, he came to find out, well, I, I have some nerve endings in my tongue and I can feel it with my tongue. I'm not making this up. This guy read the Bible four times in his lifetime with his tongue. Okay, so if anyone has an excuse to not read their Bible, it's that guy. It's that guy that got blinded, and you say, well, you're blind, maybe you can read Braille. I don't have hands. Okay, this guy didn't have hands or eyes, and he found a way to read God's Word with his tongue. And what a picture there of feasting on God's Word. Okay? So the, the problem isn't a lack of time or hard to understand. The problem is, is a lack of discipline and a lack of desire for God's Word. This guy had a desire, and there was nothing that was going to stop him. So, so pray that God would give you that desire in your heart to feast on His Word each day that it's so, so that it would transform your life. Um, at the bottom of your bulletin, I put a little line here. They say that resolutions are more likely to be successful and actually happen if there's a clear commitment. So we could say this morning, yeah, I want to read my Bible this year um, and just kind of say it. And again, we might forget about that. But the, the more you're more likely to keep a resolution is if you write it down and if you set a clear goal, if there's a specific commitment. So look, you're not bound to this. Um, you're not going to be saved if you fill this out or anything like that. This is just a way to, ha to this is just an opp opportunity for you this morning, even right now, to grab a pen and fill this out. If you're convicted and say, I need to resolve to read my Bible more this year, to read it every day this year. It says, I, comma, blank, and put your name there, resolve to read my Bible each day this year for at least blank minutes. And for some of us who are more busy, it could be five or ten minutes. Okay, and if we're in the Word for five or ten minutes every day, as long as you're in the Word, it's, it's going to transform your life. For some of us who might be retired or, or whatnot, um, maybe you could put 60 minutes down there. But the point is, as long as you're making a commitment here that's, that's applicable to your life. And so, so fill this out, maybe take this home, maybe hang it on your fridge, put it in your Bible, and, and let that be a resolution for you this year. That you'll rely on the power of God and on his word and not on yourself. And this is the last thing I'm going to say this morning, and this cannot go unsaid. Um, it, Jesus actually said it in, in John 5, 39 through 40. Listen, you, you, can, you can fill this out, and you can read your Bible every day this year and, and still go to hell. You can read your Bible every day this year and not be saved and not know Jesus. In fact, there were some people who did it. They were called Pharisees, and these guys would even memorize the whole Torah. Yet when Jesus came to them, when God in the flesh came to him, they killed him. They hung him on a cross. And Jesus said this to them in John 5. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Look, reading the Bible isn't the goal. 
it's, it's, it's going to help you to that goal. The goal is to know and to love and to cherish and to have faith in the person, Jesus Christ, who bled and died for you. Okay, and if you don't have that, regardless of if you read the Bible every day, then you have nothing. Okay, if you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Him, saying, Lord, you died for me, so I'm going to live for you. If you don't have that, then you're missing the whole point. Okay, the Scriptures don't save you. Jesus Christ saves you, and the Scriptures point to Him. So if you're not a Christian this morning, maybe you've never made a profession of faith, maybe you've been in church a long time and you've even read the Bible, but it's just been a dry religious duty where it's something you have to do, it's not something you ever really want to do, and it's something that you do to make you feel good about yourself. It's not something that points you to Jesus Christ, who was the only good man who ever lived. If that's you this morning, then we're going to have opportunity here um, to, to, and again, walk in the aisle doesn't save you. Okay, well, it's, it's faith in Christ. But this is an opportunity to, to say January 8th is a day when I place my faith to put a flag in the ground. That's when I was born again, put my faith in Jesus Christ. Bro, uh, Pastor Richard is going to step down, and if you want to pray with him and talk to him about salvation, then you can. Uh, but I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for the gospel that the word tells us about, that we can be saved through faith in Christ, that he died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Or I thank you that you haven't left us on this earth with no guidance or direction. You haven't left us in the dark, but you have given us your word. I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray that we would resolve as a church to read, to study, to meditate on your scriptures every day this year in 2017 i pray that it would transform our lives and it would point us to jesus it would make us more like jesus and it would cause us to tell other people about jesus and it's in jesus name i pray amen